Hey everyone, I hope you're all doing well and enjoying the rest of summer. It's been a wild and volatile year in the cryptocurrency markets. Predicting the prices of cryptocurrencies has become an impossible task for even the most experienced finance and technology experts, especially with all the geopolitical and inflation concerns we have around the world. The Ethereum merge, which is anticipated to happen in mid-September, is also creating some uncertainty on the largest smart contract community in Ethereum. However, after five years of planning, I feel pretty confident the merge will happen without any major issues. Then the devs will focus on the surge, the verge, the purge, and the splurge upgrades that are expected to help the Ethereum network scale. What an exciting time to be alive. It's possible that we're building the technological and financial infrastructure that will be used for decades to come. Only time could tell. Here on episode 101, our guest Kyle Culver and I talk about how one of the earliest healthcare-related blockchain consortia, the Synaptic Health Alliance, has built a network for solving a particularly tricky problem. And that problem is outdated or inaccurate provider directories. Imagine 25 years ago checking the Yellow Page books to find a doctor, and every time you find one you like, the phone number or address listed is simply not correct. That must have been quite frustrating 25 years ago, but it is also happening now. We may not be using Yellow Pages anymore, but the provider directories that are listed on your health plan's websites or apps are often outdated or inaccurate, probably because someone either forgot to update it or it just simply wasn't a priority. That poor patient experience is one of the reasons people think our healthcare system is failing us. Since 2018, the Synaptic Health Alliance partners, including Aetna, United Health Group, Humana, and others, have been experimenting with new decentralized ledger-based models to solve the seemingly simple problem and create a more reliable system for updating provided directories for patients and the entire industry as a whole. I think this is a really important topic, and I'm really glad to be able to speak with Kyle, and I hope you all enjoy this episode as much as I do. Remember, the Health Unchained podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only, and we are not providing any sort of legal financial or medical advice, please do your own research and due diligence before making any important decisions related to these matters. And now let's get to the show. Hi, I'm your host, Ray Dogan, and welcome to Health Unchained. On this show, I'll be speaking with healthcare entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and executives who are using blockchain technologies to revolutionize healthcare. These innovators are building the distributed infrastructure and diverse communities required for a trusted, secure, and decentralized healthcare ecosystem. Enjoy the show. What is blockchain? What is blockchain? What is blockchain? The doctor will see you now. Welcome to Health Unchained. Today, I'm so excited to speak with one of the OGs in healthcare and blockchain, Kyle Culver, co-founded the Synaptic Health Alliance Consortium in 2017 which has been working to bring together health plans and other healthcare stakeholders to fix a specific problem. And that problem is inaccurate or outdated provider directory information. And we'll get into what that means for patients and for health insurance industry more broadly. So very specific problem, but I think that's really a great way to approach it. Kyle, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. I uh, really do appreciate the opportunity. I think you do great work on here and there's a big need to raise awareness. And so happy to lean into that and talk about things and share perspectives so that we can grow this community that's aware of decentralized technologies and their implications for the future of healthcare. I love that. Yeah. And I think the last time I heard you present actually was at HIMSS this year in 2022. And you talked about updates about the project. So that was really interesting. But before we get into all that, can you tell the audience a little bit more about yourself, just the background, career-wise, personal? So Kyle Culver, live here in the Louisville, Kentucky area, and come from a computer engineering background, you know, really focused, you know, career-wise on some of the engineering side, being hands-on code and those types of things. Made it over to healthcare a little over a decade ago, doing a lot of engineering, they kind of jumped into innovation and doing some of those activities. And so looking at that, then it jumped into kind of looking at blockchain um, and trying to find out where that could fit and just got really excited. I think when we start thinking about the architectures and the differences and, you know, kind of had that light bulb moment of, oh, this is different. We could do things differently. And then that flame kind of was fanned by, you know, a lot of people at Humana and and other folks around the industry. And so it was just a really exciting time. It's been a good 
thing to continue to learn about. Uh, I think that's one of the things that I enjoy is the learning around this space and just in general, and then healthcare as well. You know, I think we're all patients, right? We all understand, you know, what it's like to interact with healthcare, the, the opportunities that are there for healthcare. Um, and so definitely passionate about that space. Um, I have three kiddos, three boys, 11, nine, and seven now. And so hopefully make some changes and work on things with, with collectives here across healthcare so that they don't have to experience the same problems that we're bumping into today. Yeah. And you mentioned change and blockchain definitely brings a lot of change into the industry. Uh, and with change, we know that it takes time and it takes a lot of perseverance and explanation and education. And what's interesting to me is that you're coming from Humana. So you're working at Humana for about 10 years or so, I think, right? And currently director of emerging technology. So it really fits into what you're doing here. I'm still curious, where did you first hear about blockchain technology? Like you're in healthcare, you're working with the health plan. What brought it about for you? Um, and so there definitely were conversations with other engineers when it kind of took off in the, the 2010 through 2012, you know, heard about it, but didn't really kind of lean into it much until 2015, 2016. I had a leader and then was also in the innovation department. And that leader, Paul Friedman, was kind of saying, hey, this is something we should look at. Let's do some research here and let's figure out what this is and what this could mean. And then, you know, the approach with that and other things, we'd always try to bring it into a healthcare example to help people understand it. And so that kind of kicked off the work to really lean into it and learn more. Awesome. I love that. Let's talk about the Synaptic Health Alliance. It's uh, you know one of the older consortia that is still around. And I think that is making progress. Can you talk to me about the origins and just how the idea was first thought about who was supporting it? Sure. The big genesis of people talking about blockchain and healthcare came out of that white paper challenge. And so the ONC and HHS sponsored this white paper challenge. I'd submitted something focused on claims. And that claims, I think, resonated with me then, still resonates with me as a big opportunity for healthcare. But 2016, like that time frame, was not the time frame to focus on something that complex. And so that really brought together some folks that talking about we believe that blockchain is valuable you know, for us to work together, but not really as valuable internal to a single company. So then we started talking about where are these use cases and how could we work on those? And that connected me with, with Mike Jacobs at Optum and Lorraine Frias and a couple of others that really pulled together that key group and saying like, this is what we could do. The idea actually was submitted for that white paper challenge by Ernst & Young or EY. They had submitted that idea that was shared. And then we were looking at ideas to work on. That was one that rose to the top when we were talking with others. Um, and so was able to bring Quest Agnostics and Aetna and leaders from Multiplan and others to really dig in and start looking at this. Yeah, and that's interesting. You mentioned how the idea you had about claims, using blockchain for claims was too complex. And I think in the industry now, we talk a lot about low-hanging fruit. What are some of the use cases that are easier to implement, let's say. And what I've found is that anything related to patient data, you know, PHI or HIPAA is, I don't want to say a, a non-starter, but it's a lot more challenging to make progress. Things like provider credentialing or drug supply chain management, things like that, where there's no patient information seem to be gaining more traction because there is less regulation, you can say, around it. Do you, would you agree? Yeah, I definitely think there's a higher hill to climb there for sure when you start looking at patient confidentiality and then also the confidentiality of company confidential information. So uh, I think claims we had both in 2016, but now with price transparency, right, there's more still patient transparency um, and the visibility of the patient and how do they interact with it that I think is still a challenge for some of these use cases to look at. And that's why I think the public data, there's so much value and saying, hey, let's work together. We don't believe these things are competitive advantages in this public data space. So how do we make them more efficient? Absolutely. And for the audience, can you explain what a provider directory is from a, a patient perspective who's not really entrenched in all the healthcare lingo? Sure. And, and so when you go to your insurer's website and try to see who's in network for a specific service, it's that values that you're looking at there. So like Dr. Smith on Market Street, call this phone number to make an appointment? Are they accepting new patients and their specialty? So there's millions and millions of records that need to be managed uh, by the healthcare industry and a lot of overlap 
because a provider likely works with 20 plus payers. Um, and so a lot of people are maintaining that data that, that needs to be patient or member facing at that time of service. Can you talk about some of the specific components in the directory? So you have the provider's name, their office or location, maybe some of the specialties that they have been focusing on in their career. Any other factors? Yeah. Yeah. And so it's really that list of name, their, their NPI, which is, again, this public identifier you know, of the provider. Then you have specialty, accepting new patients, and then phone number and address are, are typically the ones that are more difficult to manage around that address and phone number. So saying, can I get service there? So this isn't kind of the, the organization address or some place that you may cover for someone else, but can I really book an appointment with you? And so that's just a challenge to manage. I believe the research says that half of this data has some sort of change every 18 months. Um, and then, you know, from a quality perspective across the industry, it's been a challenge for a long time, not just for a specific company, but, you know, across the board. And so it's one of those things where everybody has a lot of data, but it's really difficult to separate the signal from the noise and understanding is this data wrong, right? How do we go and spend our cycles correcting the wrong data, then quickly and efficiently validate what's correct? Right. And for anyone listening, you can think about if you ever are trying to make an appointment with a specialist and then you find their phone number and you're calling them, no one's answering or somebody eventually picks up and says, oh, no, that doctor doesn't work here. He left two years ago. So it becomes a frustrating point or pain point for a patient or health plan member. This is really the problem that this Synaptic Health Alliance is trying to solve. Would you like to add anything to that or? Right. And I think too, like distance wise and another aspect you think it can be an access to care issue, right? If you thought that that was two miles away or two blocks away, and that was something that you were going to go interact with, and now it's 10 miles away, like that's a different position for you to go and receive care at that place. Absolutely. So when these founding members or founding organizations that were part of the initial setup of the Synaptic Health Alliance. So you had Humana, Multiplan, a few other companies as well. Did they have a shared vision or was there some sort of differences in how they perceived the end goal to be? I think we all approached it as a learning opportunity. And there were some really great people that were leaning into that and still continue to lean into this. I think we showed up and said, hey, we know there's some opportunity here for us to collaborate. We all believe in the value and outcome that collaboration can bring. We're all learn together. And so there were things that we felt strongly about, others felt strongly about that we needed to prove together. And I think it was a good journey for us to kind of learn some of these processes. How do we share this data? How is the data collected? How do we talk about this information, you know, in a shared way? There were a lot of very, very non-technical things and operational things that needed to be discussed and worked through to be able to share efficiently and understanding what you're getting so that you can apply that and use that in the best way too. Do you feel that the alliance has pivoted or shifted over the last five years? I don't believe so. We've been really focused on that provider directory problem. And so one of the things that when we started out, we were saying we really want to focus on a use case and get this use case delivered. What we didn't want to do is have it be this open canvas or saying, hey, you can do anything because we were concerned that that would just cause the wheels to spin and a lot of discussions, but no really action. So that focus helped us and it took longer than we expected it to. We thought we'd be able to deliver, but there were a lot of problems that we needed to work through and discuss. And so when we add blockchain to it, it doesn't solve the issue, right? There's a core issue that makes quality a challenge adding this technology doesn't solve it. And so it took this work for us to figure out what are the things that we can do. And it wasn't just one thing. There were a lot of things that we needed to work on or look at or research to be able to get to the point where now we have something that is adding value and that we're looking to grow and scale. Right. And I think that's the cool thing about projects like these is once it does start gaining traction and it, people can see the value and it does work, scaling it I don't want to say it's easy, but it feels like it can scale very quickly just because you have your built-in incentive mechanisms within the platform itself. So people have an incentive to correct inaccurate provider information. Everyone is using the same system, or at least they've agreed to use the same system. Hopefully they 
implement that into their existing infrastructure, but that's another process as well. But you mentioned you did have some challenges. So what challenges have you faced throughout the development and testing? I think it's just collaboration, figuring out the most efficient way for us to organize around things and talking about different terms. How do we connect? What properties should be shared? What's the you know, identifier that we're going to use and what context can we get, how easy, you mentioned integration, how easy it is for some organizations to get it and share it versus others that may be more difficult for them to combine those things. There were things that some companies were coming in with that they had as far as from data perspective that was easier for them to get or share. So from a challenge perspective, I think it was more, again, on the operations side, not that anything was wrong. It was just trying to work through what's a shared process because we've always done a process within the company. Um, And then on the technical side, kind of working through, there's been a ton of change, right? In the disruptive technology and disruptions there and looking at, well, should we be using this or this component? Like what type of consensus mechanism are we using? What type of underlying technology and really trying to make sure we're doing that due diligence. It wasn't that anything they caused concern. It was just things that needed to be worked through by the group. And you mentioned onboarding and scaling. We have a lot of shared knowledge now. And so when we do onboard a member, kind of working on how do we convey some of these shared learnings, because a lot of, you know, these companies were all on this journey. And so everybody's kind of picked it up. When you have a new person at the organization who's now working with us, or a full new organization trying to understand what their starting point is and trying to help them along with this is how we got here it is also an important part of that onboarding. Yeah. And what is like a typical onboarding process for a member? And when we talk about a member organization, we're talking about large companies with like tens of thousands of employees and many processes. And how does Synaptic Health Alliance onboard new members and what's required from new members? So we have a website that's out there and people can go to and kind of look at what Synaptic is and there's a white paper out there and then it also has a membership grid that kind of has some of the details around membership costs and what you get for those costs and the different types of membership. Reaching out to one of the founding members is one way. There's also a web uh, submission portal. That's probably the easiest way to submit and say, hey, I'm interested and we'll connect you with someone. Since it's decentralized, right? Synaptic's not a company. We work through the founding members to bring somebody on. Like NDAs and things like that are, are done between those founding members and the prospect member. From there, bring them on and say, okay, this is what we're looking to do. Make sure they understand what the situation is. Then when they sign up, the agreement, the alliance agreement is with everybody in the alliance. So again, you're talking about challenges, learning how to structure this and keep it decentralized was another learning, right? You go to a procurement team and say, hey, we're going to have this contract and this treasury company over here is going to pay it, but we're going to sign this contract and we're potentially be the one that's on the hook should the treasury company, you know, not pay, right? Like it's just a different setup and we've been able to work through that and everything went great. It's just a different thing than you're used to working with inside an organization. Absolutely. The governance of decentralized organizations are uh, very different from a typical corporate structure. Can you elaborate a bit more about how Synaptic Health Alliance is, what kind of organization it is exactly, and how it's filed? I'm just saying like, it's not like an entity, right? It is still an alliance of members. And we do have a definitive agreement, you know, with those alliance members about how we're going to interact. The processes and policies um, have also been well-documented, specific to the work that we're looking to do. Awesome. So speaking more broadly, I think there's always been this hesitation in healthcare to adopt blockchain more broadly. And we talked about how there are some low-hanging fruit opportunities or use cases where there is no requirement for patient information protection or even commercial information, confidential information protection. In general, where do you see the adoption of blockchain in the healthcare space? Do you feel like we're 5% there, 10% there? What's your take? Yeah, I would have had a very ardent like belief, you know, in 2018 as far as what Snapchat was doing and those things about the rate, you know. And so I'm trying to look back on that now, you know, with those learnings and say, hey, I think we have a long road ahead of us just because it is so different. Um, and looking at onboarding people to these processes and understanding what this means. 
um, and making it easy for consume, you know, consumers to use it. What we've seen, um, and I think it's been really interesting, was different than I would have thought at the beginning. We've seen more adoption across not just healthcare, more broadly in the B2C space, right? And consumer-facing solutions that are just saying, hey, here's our product, use it. Um, whereas, you know, I thought that some of the enterprise applications would have been able to pick up adoption because the who owns it, um, you know, could go away and that could be more community-owned. Um, but I don't think we've seen that as much in the market. And I think their challenge is, you know, to getting everybody together. Not that people don't want to work together. Uh, I just think that there are some specifics and driving that forward and a lot of effort, you know, to be able to do that. Um, and so, I don't know. I think there, you know, you mentioned the credentialing use case. Um, I think there are things when we look at interoperability, just in general, um, there are a lot of APIs that are out there. Um, how do we understand what the, where, they are, where they are and who owns those um, and context around those? And so when you, you know, go show up at some of these you know, uh, standards meetings when they're talking about HL7 and these other things, there's a lot of conversation that's very, using the same language that we hear in Web3. You know, a lot of, hey, we want to keep this open, right? We want to make this accessible. We want the community to weigh into these things. All these things that we hear with decentralized products. And so I'm excited about some of those opportunities. Um, I know there's very established process with those organizations, you know, that, that are leading some of those interoperability charges. Um, but trying to understand, are there ways in which to incorporate some of these more modern technologies to assist with visibility and transparency and decentralized governance, as well as incentive models and looking at, you know, how can you incentivize this community to reward contribution um, and then also to, you know, pay for, you know, consumption, right? And I think we're seeing that with other products in decentralized finance. And so I think that there are some things to take away and put into there. Um, I think identity is going to be a real big challenge. Um, I think that's a tough use case that everything kind of hinges on. Uh, but uh, I think there are, you know, a lot of progress being made there too. Um, I think price transparency has brought down the, the barrier of entry for some of the, the claims related type use cases. And so I'm excited about the opportunities there as well. Yeah, absolutely. And like you mentioned, price transparency, um, I think there's a lot of excitement around that in different ways that companies and new companies can, um, existing companies and new companies can uh, engage with patients around price transparency. So people can have a feeling of what they're actually paying for uh, versus how it works now. Well, I think the Synaptic Health Alliance, you know, you mentioned that there's a fee for joining as a new member company, but can you describe the overall business and operating model outside of that? Or is that the, yeah, can you talk about more about that? Sure. And so the fees there are on the website to kind of join the alliance. And again, they go into a treasury and then those fees are used for things that are determined by the alliance, right? And that budget is aligned to by that group. So again, this isn't something that that's seen as a you know profit making you know for these these companies. It's really trying to be a utility that's sustainable and equitable. Is it an actual DAO? Is it set up as a DAO currently? So I would say it's decentralized. I think you know there's a lot of things that go with DAO um, and that decentralized autonomous organization. Um, I think when we started this in 2018 that maturity, you know, is very different than where it's gotten to now. Um, and I think that we are working, you know, to do what we have, you know, over this time, the governance that we've aligned on that is decentralized. So I think there are things that align with that. Um, but whether we're using all the tools, right, and, and tokens and all those things, um, I think there are still some things that are maturing that we should be evaluating in the future. I see. Is there a, a token associated with it? at the moment? No. And so we're doing, you know, we're tracking uh, debits and credits based on, you know, the activities that you're doing and whether you're providing value or you're consuming value. Um, so that's the neat part. When we look at, you know, crowdsourcing, you know, we're saying, hey, if you have valuable data and other people are subscribing to and consuming that data, it's going to track that and you'll get rewarded um, for that. And then you can use those rewards to then consume data that you may need. Um, and so, you know, everybody's kind of 
doing a lot of these outreach activities on their own. Um, and now we have the mechanism in which to share them with the broader group and an incentive model to where, you know, we, we're not in this dilemma, right, where people are saying, oh, I'm just going to wait, you know, and sit on the side um, and have this tragedy of the commons type activity where everybody's waiting for someone else to do Yeah, work. and it, it kind of reminds me of how in Google Maps, there are reviews and ratings for restaurants. These, This is a crowdsourced uh, function, really. You have people who go to the restaurant, they talk about it, they take pictures of it, they give it a five-star rating, and then other people see those ratings and make a decision whether or not to go to that restaurant or not. Similarly, um, you can have a similar model with, with providers, potentially. What I understand now is with the Synaptic Health Alliance, you know, nobody is necessarily rating providers and how they're performing. It's just a matter of, can you verify that they're, they're at the right address or they're at the address that they say they are? So it's much more simple, simplified. Um, but the incentive model is sort of similar where in Google Maps, if you're a user and you have a hundred ratings or thousands of ratings, you are, you get badge points. You, you become like a reputable person uh, in the Google platform, right? So. And in the same way, Synaptic, Synaptic Health Alliance has this credit and debit system. How is the credit and debit system managed, though? What is the is there like a, an admin who can magically remove or put new credits in? So it's in the smart contracts, and so you know the code is there to say if you produce value and that's consumed, then you're rewarded with this credit. So if I'm the first person to validate the Dr. Smith on Market Street. I'll get a reward as that primary validator. However, if someone comes in later and says, I also agree that this is there, then there's a secondary validator. And the rewards of those validators are you know, determined by how many people subscribing to that data. Um, and so then those are things that are, you know, are playing in. And there's also a reward if you challenge something and you say, hey, I don't believe the Dr. Smith's on Market Street. Um, you know, because that's the signal that's really valuable to the group. Um, and then and they're rewarded uh, again if that challenge is correct. Um, but there is a cost to challenging. Um, so what we found, you know, from our prior research is if you don't have this, you know, cost or stake, right, for you to put data forward, everybody just says, hey, my data's right. And so you end up with like a ton of things that are out there, but there's really no penalty for being wrong. Uh, and so there almost has to be kind of this, uh, you know, penalty reward type system for you to, you know, engage and ensure that we have the property, proper interaction with the community. Yeah. With many of these types of systems, incentive models, there's a chance that some people might find a way to game it or try to like, uh, not break the system, but take it to their advantage or not, you know, have you seen any of that and have you modified your, your model for it? So, I mean, we're talking about our participants, our organizations and companies. You know, we have an agreement with these companies about how we're going to interact. And so we haven't. However, I think we're always looking at what we're doing and saying, if this is completely public, what would that mean? Right. What are some of the things that we made to see? So we do it from a design perspective. Um, we definitely aren't experiencing that, you know, from our current alliance sure. members. And just to make clear for the audience it is a permissioned network um correct correct we believe that that was the best way for us to learn certainly you know given the time that we were learning um and i think that that's really you know played out well for us um to be able to control some of those factors um and and manage the things that we can um because due to you know some of the changes that have happened since then in the other environments i think that would be a very different world in which to live in. Could you describe the technology stack that you use? Sure. And I think that uh, so Kaleido is the vendor that, that we're working with. Um, they've done a, a great job in being kind of that enterprise, you know, solution. So, you know, for a lot of folks, this, this feels like a SaaS solution. Um, you know, you don't have to get down in the weeds with the, the blockchain, um, in order to get the value. I mean, obviously we want everybody to understand how things work. We want everybody to have the opportunity to host a node. Should they want to host a node, be able to get deep in there. 
Um, but we're using uh, Kaleido as that vendor and they, you know, have really helped us with, you know, some of the decisions that we need to make and having the right conversations with their group in order to move this forward. Um, I haven't looked at your member requirements recently, but I do recall them being able to run a note if they wanted to, but it's not necessarily required. Is that correct? Correct. And so it's not required that they run one, but there is one that will be theirs. And so, the, the, you know, they're going to have a node that is theirs, whether they run it or it's hosted for them. Right. And, you know, that company needs to have the resources to maintain uh, the node. And it probably isn't too uh, extensive what they need to do because Kaleido is managing a lot of that. Right. And so, again, it'll feel like a SaaS solution should someone not, you know, want to host it themselves. Welcome to the Health Unchained News Corner with a little help with artificial intelligence. Can you tell the difference? On August 16, 2022, U.S. President Joe Biden signed the Inflation Reduction Act into law, enacting some of the biggest changes to U.S. healthcare since the passage of the Affordable Care Act in 2010. It also will enable increased investments in combating climate change and invest $80 billion into fixing the IRS infrastructure and enforcement agencies. The money for these initiatives are expected to come from the new 15% minimum corporate tax rate for corporations with at least $1 billion in income. Taxes on individuals and households making less than $400,000 are not expected to increase. One of the most significant provisions of the Inflation Reduction Act will allow Medicare to negotiate the price of certain prescription drugs, bringing down the price beneficiaries will pay for their medications. Medicare recipients will have a $2,000 cap on annual out-of-pocket prescription drug costs starting in 2025. The goal of the Medicare drug price negotiation provision to pay less for the same drugs that we're currently purchasing. The law also extends the Affordable Care Act subsidies by the federal government to lower insurance premiums. These subsidies, which were scheduled to expire at the end of 2022, but will be extended through 2025 as a result of the Inflation Reduction Act. Approximately 3 million Americans could lose their health insurance if these subsidies weren't extended, according to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Now, I understand the current need for governments to help pay for our subsidy healthcare costs, but I also find it discouraging to think that we need to rely on government to be so involved in setting the foundation for how money flows in healthcare. If we had a more transparent system, I think the market could compete and deliver lower costs to the public more organically. The data each person is generating is not being captured in our current models of care. If we can capture this value and somehow apply it back into research and development, I think there could be a day when the government won't need to dictate how money should be allocated. Some argue that by setting the prices for drugs, the government is hindering pharmaceutical innovation because pharma companies will have less money to invest back into research. I think this argument is a double-edged sword since in many cases innovation is a result of constraints put on a system or person. Sure, funding is needed to innovate but I don't think major pharma companies will be struggling because of these new laws. We won't know how the new act will actually impact inflation until it actually happens. Let me know what you think about the new Inflation Reduction Act in the Health Unchained Telegram community or on Twitter. How do you think blockchain and Web3 can play a role in mitigating some of the problems this law is aiming to solve? Check out the show notes for more information about the new legislation. And now back to our conversation with Kyle Culver, co-founder of the Synaptic Health Alliance. Can you talk about some of the user experience feedback you may have gotten over time and any pilot project results or conclusions? Yeah, I mean, that, that a lot of learnings there with how we group the data, how we organize the data. I mean, this if you haven't dealt with provider data, it gets, you know, pretty wide pretty quick. And then we're talking, you know, uh, again, you have Dr. Smith and Dr. Smith, you know, has an NPI, right? And that's associated with that person. Um, but they may work for a company that has a group NPI, right? So now we have another NPI that's at the organization level. Um, they also have a tax identifier um, number for that organization. Um, and then they may work for another company. Um, and then you, so you have those type of relationships. And then we need to get to the address phone number level. And so somebody may work at three different places and there may be three different phone numbers in which to call 
and that's just for that one you know organization they work with. Then they may also work with so you know, and so it gets really complicated, uh, you know, or not com- more complex. And, and so it seems really easy. We're like, oh, Dr. Smith on Market Street. I don't understand why it's so hard. And then you start looking at like how that spans into multiple records that need to be managed and all have different data. Um, so quality scores are associated to those service locations, right? And then you may speak, uh, have, have Spanish speaking, right? Different languages at this location versus that location. And so you really do need to associate it to that address phone number, um, you know, level and granularity to really understand, you know, the, the right properties. Interesting. You, we, we talked about incentivization models and mechanisms um, so that the most up-to-date provider information is, is relayed back to the organizations. Um, so my question is, in terms of the incentive models, do you find that, uh, well, actually, let's, let's take a step back. Who exactly is able to determine if uh, provider information is incorrect or correct? Is it a member? Is it like an employee from one of these member companies only? And so it's very specific, right? Well, so it has to be, an alliance member because they're the only ones that are going to be able because it's permissioned, right? They're the only ones that are going to be able to interact. And then it will be, you know, one of their employees who are going and doing those interactions. So they're going and like down a list of providers and verifying, maybe calling some of them up, their offices, checking to see if it's accurate or not. That's what. Right. And so there's a web experience, you know, that's built on top of that node. So it's, again, still decentralized um, that they can go into and interact. But then there's APIs underneath of that. So what we're seeing is a lot of people have taken those APIs and integrated into their workflows. Um, so when they're doing these activities that are part of their normal day-to-day, um, then that's tied in. So if they're saying, hey, this is wrong, then that challenge gets pushed out there. They're saying, hey, this is right. That new data gets pushed out there. That's really cool. I mean, that's pretty innovative if you think about it from a, you know enterprise perspective. It, that's, I, I guess I don't know many organizations or groups that have, have done that in any way <laughs> yeah and i think it's exciting to think about as, as a patient when we look at the you know cost of healthcare and the you know duplication that's occurring or waste that's out there trying to find ways that we can work together um and models that are less concerning right like i think the, the who owns it as i mentioned before is always the problem and so saying hey we collectively can own it and because we collectively can own it you know one of the things we were talking about it's like, well, what should that price be? When we as Synaptic, we're talking about it. We got to set the price, right? And we were, you know, higher than what we thought. And then we saw, like, we did the simulation. It's like, oh, we can push that down. Like, it's a very different conversation to say as a collective, what should this price be? So it's sustainable. We know it's going to have costs to operate and run and those things. Um, that's very different than working with a vendor, you know, that, that has a target that they're trying to hit right and has other goals that that they're looking to to meet yeah i mean it's pretty cool it's like a self-fixing engine that's also a public good right so it's pretty interesting i wish it was completely self like the code could do the fixing right now it is definitely a lot of work to get it um to this and it's just a different idea you know the thing that, that you're talking about there it's so different that i think People that aren't, you know, close to it or haven't really talked about it, um, you know, it just doesn't resonate as much until you start talking through the implication, the size of the problem and some of those other aspects. Well, when you're talking to, you know, health systems or really health plans that maybe are thinking about becoming members of SHA, Synaptic Health Alliance, what are their major concerns or questions or what's holding them back from joining? Um. I mean, I think everybody has a full plate, right? Everybody has a full plate of things that they're working on and things they're accountable to deliver. Um, And so their questions, uh, I think, are around how is this going to help them? What's the future of this? And then what are the learnings, you know, that they can also expect to get and kind of what's the direction? And so I think, you know, the the membership is really looking at what are those other use cases? Like provider director is great and we're creating value from that. But how do we get on board also with other things? How do we demonstrate this in other ways? And so there's a lot of questions around that, around the fundamentals of how does it function? How do I work with it? Um, and what those expectations should be moving forward. One recent partnership that you have is with ProCredX, which is a provider credentialing 
organization using some Web3 principles and technologies. Um, can you describe your relationship with ProCredX and how you guys are working together? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an exciting, uh, I think, partnership there. They're definitely really close to the Web3, you know, space and then looking at a different use case um, with credentialing, you know, and saying, you know, that, that's very different than Dr. Smith from Market Street, right? That's saying Dr. Smith can practice and, you know, has the, you know, things in which we believe is licensed, right, to deliver that, that level of care. Um, and so, you know, we know that there's a lot of overlap between those things and a lot of learnings there. And so the intent, you know, with this in the beginning was, hey, we should be open, right? We should let people, you know, join the alliance. We should work on how do we learn together. And I think this is part of that, you know, we're saying, hey, you guys are learning very different things with credentialing and how you're working through that. And then we've learned, you know, with directory. And we think that this should be something that we can collaborate, you know, and exchange data, right? We should be able to figure out how to work together. And so when we look at, blockchain value prop and Web3's value prop, it, it has this strong network effect. Um, and so with that, you know, I think we're always looking for, hey, can you join? And what would joining look like? And, and how can we work together? Because that's how we're really going to be successful is figuring out what does that ecosystem need to be and look like so you have these products and services above it, um, you know, that can compete. Like we're all familiar with you know, the protocols that, that push forward the internet, right? You know, then the, and we all know what HTTP and now we're familiar with IP, like all these things that, that are underlying and they enable competition above that layer. And so I'm excited to think about what that could be in healthcare, what, what could be those underlying protocols? How could we have collabor- collaboration to enable those? Um, right now, it seems like we have a lot of specifications and we're saying, okay, well, this spec or that spec, but I think there's a need for those protocols to really accelerate, you know, adoption and usage and make it different than what we see today. Yeah, that's really cool. I think that's a great idea to have, you know, basically what you're doing or what the you know, community is doing is trying to build these uh, base protocols for the healthcare industry specifically. So using like Web3 decentralized technology. So I think that's really, uh, it's going to take time, but it's really important so thank you for working on that definitely um so were there any announcements or events in the healthcare and blockchain space uh over the years that you've been involved with it that you found to be very unexpected or not um something you didn't you know anticipate happening i would say you know and maybe it was just because i was naive and really thought the enterprise would make more progress faster just to see how it's blown up in the b2c space and see people doing like collateralized loans seeing stuff like that i think has been really really interesting also you know again being in a space and knowing some of these leaders that thought we'd see more success with other things you know like there's not a lot as you were mentioning of consortiums that were around when Snaptic started you know they're still still there um, and I think there were a lot of learnings from that, you know, and I think that it's, it's definitely a, a challenge, right? And there's things that are there. But again, these problems are here for a reason and adding a technology necessarily just doesn't fix it, right? And so you kind of got to work through, you know, all those other aspects of what's the incentive model look like, what's the governance look like, like all these different hats that you have to wear in order to make these things successful. Yeah. And like, I'm just thinking back to years ago when uh, healthcare started getting involved with blockchain, people um were concerned that the middlemen in healthcare would be um removed basically from the picture so like de- decentralization will create peer-to-peer interactions removing a lot of the waste uh reducing costs uh, but it turns out you know those middlemen are maybe more important than we thought originally or they are not willing to give up uh their market positions yeah i mean i, I think you see um you know, there's a lot more to saying something's more efficient than that actually getting implemented and done. Um, and so, like the, the theory of it or the architecture of it are very different things than I think the implementation and the reality. Um, the other thing uh, you mentioned integration, like a lot of these processes are core and are connected to a lot of other stuff. And so, the idea of hey, how do we replace that with something's different is not just a decision around that process, but all the other implications. Um, and I think what we see with DeFi, there's a lot of things that are starting from scratch, 
And I think that's hard to do, right, with, with healthcare type things, right, to, to start from scratch. And so I think you need to find better ways in which to incorporate and demonstrate, you know, progress um, in increment, not incremental ways, but things that can operate in parallel. Absolutely. And, you know, we're going to see more experiments over time with blockchain and healthcare. I think it's just a matter of time, a matter of, you know, expertise and experience and a bit of luck, I suppose. Uh, I think that's always in play. Do you have any, uh, do you have an outlook for 2022 and beyond for the Synaptic? I mean, I think we're going to continue to see growth. Um, we're going to continue to see people experimenting with different things. Um, we're going to see, you know, a lot of those fail. Um, and then we're going to see some of them that they get traction and I think they'll get traction with narrow, you know, use cases. Um, they're very focused on a specific thing and hopefully build upon other things that were learned, whether it be in decentralized finance or with DAOs or with some of these other innovations. And so I think there's going to be some, some piggyback type, you know, activities where they learned something from another space and they're able to take it and bring it into healthcare and create value from it. Um, but I think to, you know, it'll be, you know, a step here, a step there, um, because I think the learning journey, hopefully, you know, that's what we see in 2022 and beyond is there's more and more people talking about it. There's more and more people understanding it. Um, and it's not just kind of the technical conversation, but also the, the different incentive models, the different governance structures you know, and how a DAO is different, you know, and what it's going to source out to the community versus what it needs to own and operate. Do you have any favorite DLT projects out there that are doing important work that you'd like to mention here? Um, I mean, there's a lot of really interesting things that are out there. Instead of calling out maybe the, the companies themselves, I think that, uh, Zero knowledge proofs, you know what, you know they're they're doing out there with zero knowledge proofs has been uh, great um, in showing and demonstrating. That. I think that'll have huge implications when we start to see those come over into healthcare and start getting applied, especially for uh, business confidential information and patient confidential information, right? Right, and so trying to understand how we use these more advanced, you know, approaches to protecting this information, and if we can do that the utility of being able to operate in the public, you know, uh, and be on more of a utility. And so I think that's really interesting and excited to see where that goes. I'm excited to see some of the open source projects, you know, Hyperledger Firefly, I think it's a, a great one with, you know, from the enterprise side, trying to really, you know, and Collider's contribution there and seeing what they've done to make it more enterprise friendly. Um, and I think just you see a big push for open source um, and people, you know, open sourcing these things. And so I think that continues to be a great thing to see. Awesome. Uh, we're just about wrapping up here. Uh, do you have any recommended reading or resources that you would recommend to like, you know, listeners or maybe people that are trying to enter the space or have been in the space for years, but haven't figured it out? <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, I think the, the VCs have done a good job of painting a picture around what it could be. Um, and so uh, I think A16Z with Andreessen Horowitz and what they're doing with crypto, they've done a lot of good writing um, and thought leadership pieces that are out there that help people understand. There's a handful of others, you know, that, that are out there um, that, that do a good job of explaining. So I would say that those sources continue to stay close to the innovations um, and also the description and some of the trends. You know, when you start hearing new verbiage and what's mean, what does that mean, or who's doing what? I think that's a been a great source. Um, I think that there's a lot of content on Twitter. It seems like Twitter's been, you know, where a feed of a lot of this comes through. And so I think trying to find sources, you know, that to follow there are helpful too. And just trying to stay close to what's going on and what does that mean. Some of the the ebb and flow of the the area, which continues to change and evolve very rapidly. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like recently, um, I'm talking about like healthcare and blockchain, but the science, the DSI space, decentralized science space has been uh, gaining some pretty significant traction in the last like six months, a year, I would say. Right. I would say so distributed health, you know, has has came together and formed, you know, a public group that, that has a discord and those things. And that's a pretty decent place to if you're really focused on healthcare. Um, in that 
area that they, you know, are talking about that and people are sharing, you know, news articles and talking about different use cases and stuff. So that's a, I think a good place to, to come and, you know, just join the community of people who are talking about these things. Absolutely. Good recommendation. Is there anything else maybe that I didn't ask you or we didn't talk about yet that you want to make sure we uh, let the audience know or tell the audience? Um, I mean, I think and in, in, uh, grateful for the opportunity, Ray, and I know you've seen this too, but I think reaching out, you know, if people are listening to this and people are saying, hey, I'd like to learn more, like there's definitely a lot of opportunities and the community is open to having those conversations that distributed health discord, John Bass, what they're doing there with Hash Health. And, you know, there's a lot of people that have been in this community for a while um, and kind of understand the landscape and maybe understand some of the challenges for a use case that may seem like a slam dunk. At the beginning, then, you know, it may be more difficult once we peel back the onion a little bit. Um, but I think we're going to create value based on those communities that we're able to form. And if we can get the education right. And so trying to make sure that people really understand what this means, understand the differences and can onboard to these things uh, more easily. Um, and it doesn't have to feel, you know, like it's this really difficult process to interact with these newer, you know, technologies. Awesome. Kyle Colbert, thank you so much again for, for joining me here today and taking us, walking us through Synaptic Health Alliance and your updates. I think it's a really cool project. Obviously, there's been a lot of traction uh, over the last five years, and I hope to see more traction in the future and more members joining and hopefully integrated into, into more systems. I think it's a really cool idea. And I think having the public being able to update or, or make recommendations too would be really interesting to see. Probably not soon, but in the future, I think that's... No, it's something we, we've talked about. You know, I definitely think there's an opportunity there. You know, and there's been, you know, I know I talk about Synaptic a lot publicly and others who have played very critical roles um, within Synaptic probably, you know, haven't, haven't been as vocal. But there's a really good core team of those founding members and the leaders that have made this possible, um, you know, that, that, that probably deserve a lot more credit than they were being giving. Uh, publicly, because um, it does take a lot of people kind of working together to make these things successful. Thanks again, Kyle. And thank you to the whole team and everybody. Appreciate it. Hey, all you cyberpunk health warriors and nimble digital disruptors. Check out healthunchained.org and remember to subscribe to Health Unchained on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and iTunes. Join the Health Unchained community on our Telegram group, t.me slash healthunchained. If you enjoyed this episode, tell your friends, your bosses, your teams, your students to listen and subscribe. Thank you.